Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Moving to Live, along with our sister podcast, treats movement as a lifestyle, not just an activity. With Moving to Live, we try to bring you good interviews where you get information that tells the story of movement professionals, as well as what they do professionally so you can learn something personally and professionally about them. Today, we're back with part two of our interview with Nate Dunn of Data Driven Athlete. Again, a big thank you to Chris Yenikos of Pittsburgh who connected us. Last episode, you heard Nate talk to us about his path to becoming a cycling coach, including his battles with dealing with a chronic liver disease. Today, he comes back and talks to us more about what he does in his career as a cycling coach. And I think Nate really exemplifies what it is to be a true movement professional, whether you're a cyclist, a cycling coach, or a coach in any realm. I think you can learn a lot from this conversation, and I appreciate Nate taking the time to share it with us. So now, please enjoy the interview. Welcome back to part two of an interview for Moving to Live with Nate Dunn. We interviewed him two weeks ago. He is the owner and coach of Data Driven Athlete. He talked about his progression of life from a team sport athlete, uh, singing in a very high-level choir in college while still being an intramural athlete. Uh, we laughed a little bit about the fact that most of us who have played intramurals remember back that it was like the seventh game of the World Series with the games we were playing. And then gave us a little background on his uh, experiences as a liver uh, person with chronic liver disease who underwent a liver transplant and how that changed him. We're going to come back this week, talk a little bit more about data-driven athlete, talk about uh, the use of technology, and really find out about the fact that he had mentioned two weeks ago that what he really liked to do is teach. And I think what people forget is coaches are probably some of the most important teachers out there. So Nate, I want to thank you for coming back and talking to Moving to Live for part two. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me back, Ben. I think one of the interesting things that you said in the first interview when I was listening to it is the fact that you were not a cyclist growing up and then you jumped on a bike and entered a race kind of on a whim and realized that this was a really cool thing. 
I think what a lot of people miss as they get older is they miss the fact that if they were involved with sports as they were growing up, the camaraderie and the fact that you can improve yourself doing things and see changes in yourself is unprecedented and valuable. And cycling, I know within the last couple of weeks of doing this interview, there was an individual uh, who I believe was 90 years old who got some publicity for failing a drug test, but he's 90 years old and still racing competitively. So I think it's important to emphasize that something like cycling as opposed to many of the team sports, it's a lifetime sport. So, you know, you've got the good chance to be around another 40 years or so or more competing as a cyclist as well as coaching. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's one of those sports that, you know, oftentimes it's, it's kind of, it's a refuge for a lot of people from team sports that maybe have banged up knees or that, you know, they've got some other, you know, other chronic um, injuries that, um, that, you know, on a bike, they're able to kind of manage those and still enjoy the, you know, the intensity and, and, and the competition. And I'm curious, just because I'm always curious with people who coach non-team sports, what's the youngest age of an athlete that you'll work with? And then what is the oldest athlete that you have worked with? So, um, you know, I, I, I would work with, um, or I have worked with some younger junior level, um, you know, junior age writers um, under 18. I've also talked some parents out of not coaching their kids um, at, at that, at that age. Let's kind of, let's kind of revisit that for a second. You've talked yeah. people out of hiring you and paying you money. Yes. I've, um, I've, I've, I've talked with some people that are like, Oh, I want you to coach my kid. He's 15, blah, 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 blah. And, and my, my, my usual spiel is, is, um, you know, I, I'm willing to, uh, I'm willing to have that conversation with you, but, um, I think that you need to, you know, cycling can be a very solitary, very lonely sport. And it really runs counter to what kids at that age want to do. Right. So that's one of the reasons why USA cycling really tries to encourage participation in like BMX, because BMX is, um, you know, enables people to hang out at the, at the track. They can do a short race. They can hang out. They can have fun. It's really kind of more of a team sport atmosphere. So I think oftentimes, you know, parents, they, they're like, hey, I want my kid to race, blah, blah, blah. He's really motivated. He wants to race. He's willing to train. Um, and the reality is, is that for most kids, um, they just need to have fun. And the idea of training on the bike and going out and doing intervals by themselves and that kind of stuff, you know, save for the very rare kid. Um, and even if you have that kid, I think you still have to really treat that situation with reverence and to say, okay, maybe we'll do like one workout a week. And then the rest of the time we want to try and introduce these different, you know, foundational training principles in a way that's really fun. And that feels, that doesn't feel like you're training. And, um, so I think that's, you know, that's, you know, and there's been a lot of research on this too, in terms of the idea that you need to specialize a kid at a really young age in order to, you know, help them achieve their best um, just doesn't really, doesn't really play out. So the kind of coaching I do, which is really specific and, um, you know, helping someone train and be more methodical in their lifestyle, um, I, it can be done with, with, with you know, with, with a younger kid who, who maybe is really involved in the sport, really wanting to improve and get better. But I think it should be done with a different level of caution than you, than, you know, than, than you would have with a, a 22 year old who's, who's jumping in. So, um, so yeah, so I, I've coached junior riders before, and then I've, I've, I think the oldest rider that I've coached has maybe been 65. Um, so obviously a big spread in terms of, um, you know, maybe the different, uh, different goals that those riders have, you know, 
but but the, those principles of of progression and I would say of conservative progression and training and all that kind of stuff, um, those all still remain the same. Those are the, you know the, the, those are the same. It's not uh, it's, it's not like it's 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 two different worlds, uh, you know, between that between that span of writer. And people are listening to this, and I'm sure they're wondering. You coach, you coach athletes literally all over the country, if not the world. Is that correct? They don't have to just be in the Sacramento area. Yeah. So probably at least half of my clients are um, across the country, a handful across, you know, across the world and in different countries. So that's really what, you know, without getting too much into the kind of nuts and bolts of how coaching works. Um, but that's one of the things that's incredible about my job. So the first, you know, when we talked previously in terms of, you know, making this shift, um, I, I didn't mention this, but kind of one of my biggest goals and objectives was, is that I wanted to work from home and um, I have a nice home office. If you hear kids screaming, they're getting their baths right now and they're going to be having dinner here soon. Um, so even though that can be chaotic at times and anybody that works from home that has kids, you know, I'm sure they can, um, they can empathize with that. But the, you know, the ability I have to, to be with my kids and to get them up in the morning. And uh, it's, it's, it's really awesome. So working from home, being able to work remotely, then it, it opens up those opportunities to, you know, work with athletes across the world. And really the only complication is a time zone. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty much it. Now it would be great to be able to, you know, my local, my local clients, I'm able to um, ride with them sometimes and, and you know, have more face-to-face, which is, um, which is obviously optimal. That's, that, that's, that's a ton of fun to, to get that opportunity, but it doesn't, I, I would say it doesn't limit the coaching, uh, the coaching side of it. And I'm curious, I know you talked in the last interview about the fact that one of the things that drove you to really go into a data-driven athlete and start to really consider what you were doing in your life was your struggle with liver disease and the fact that you were diagnosed with osteoporosis and you make resistance training part of, and weight-bearing exercise part of your activity. How do you deal with uh, athletes that you're coaching who say, look, I'm here to get better as a cyclist. I'm doing this, this, and this as a husband, as a wife, as a, as a worker. I've got time to cycle. I don't have time to lift weights or I don't have time to do some weight bearing exercise. How do you convince them that yes, they do. And it might not only make them a better cyclist, but be better for their long-term health. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. And I would say, first of all, I don't try to convince them. Um, my, I feel like my role as a coach, um, and maybe it's because the people that I learn from, um, I, that I want to emulate, um, the, the approach is, is to say, here is some information. So, you know, we have a blog post, um, I, I write um, on our on our blog on our website about different you know common training questions, kind of common training topics, and that's really what that format is for. Is it's for me to kind of make my case or to thoroughly explore a topic to try and explore all the recent research. So when an athlete talks about something like that, let's say it's osteoporosis, or let's say you know um, you know bone density and cycling, is I can say. Um, I can point them towards kind of a concise lay article, and that can be a point of discussion to say, hey, these are the real risks about cycling and bone density. Um, And at the same time, I recognize that um, that might not really be on your radar, and that's okay too. But you've, you know, I've shared these resources with you, and and this is my perspective on this, um, but I'm here to help you achieve your goals. And if someone comes and they say, yeah, I get it. Um, but I don't really have that much time. And I, I have some high competitive goals and I, and I, I really want to achieve these, you know, I'm there to help support them in that, you know, to make sure that they're informed about kind of the cost and the benefit of those, of those different choices. Um, but, to, to leave that up to them. 
So, you know, cycling, bone density, uh, those kind of questions, obviously, it's a lot more, you know, present for me um, on a personal level. Um, but the reality is, is that, you know, some people who naturally have higher level of bone density, or maybe they come from a, a sport background where they played football or something like that. And maybe that's not as much of a concern for them. And, and um, you know, so, so yeah, try not to convince. I try and just, uh, I try and have my, um, try and give them information if they're interested in it and then kind of use that as an opportunity to, to talk about it. And I know that uh, coaching is a lot like personal training and that there are a lot of people who take it very seriously and there are probably an equal number of people who, well, I like to ride. I'd like somebody to pay me to design training programs. And for athletes who are looking for a coach, often they ride, maybe they're new riders like you were at one time, you hadn't come up through the cycling ranks and they don't know what they're looking for. So for somebody who's listening to this podcast, you know, what are these sorts of athletes that you look for? Or you think I work really well with this type of athlete. And what are these sorts of athletes that you just kind of know from your experiences uh, through trial and error? It's like, you know, this person, you know, they may need a coach, but I'm not the best coach for them because of my strengths and weaknesses don't match up with their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. So um, there are two other coaches that, that, um, that work with data-driven athlete, um, Matt Chatleong and Sam Bassetti, and they're both, both really awesome guys. And one of the, one of the coolest things about um, kind of going from a one-man show to then adding on some, some other coaches is that part of our regular practice is to talk about these things and, you know, what kind of athlete do we want? What kind of athlete um, and to run through everything from the process of onboarding an athlete to discussing different, uh, you know, different training topics and all that kind of stuff. So this idea about, you know, the, the, the type of athlete, you know, all of us, you know, kind of, we, uh, we talk about this in terms of the competitive goals are much less of an interest to us than the work ethic that somebody brings. Right. So, Though, you know, they might have high level competitive goals in cycling, or they might be trying to lose weight and, and use cycling as kind of the, the primary way that they do that. Those different goals, they can both be, um, the, the, those, those goals are much less, I'd say, the differentiating factor about whether or not that's a good athlete for us. It's about what they bring to those goals. So I would say, you know, there are some athletes who I think view coaching, and I've had athletes contact me that view coaching as kind of like that next that's the ingredient that's going to get them to do an activity or that's going to uh, you know, get them to the next level. And I always try and talk that athlete out of coaching. And I always tell them, I, you know, I, generally I say, Hey, coaching, we're, we're here to kind of capture what you bring to the table. Um, but if, unless something is going to change in your life, like let's say if you're a really busy professional, um, unless something's going to change with that or, or you're fine, you're going to be reducing your job to be able to devote more time to your health or unless something's changing in that equation, it's not likely that hiring a coach is going to, um, is going to make a really big dent in terms of helping you, you know, helping you get to where you are. So, you know, I, I oftentimes feel like I'm talking myself out of a job in some of these, uh, in some of these scenarios, but the reality is it's not a good fit for us either. Cause when we have an athlete, we pour everything into that athlete. Um, we used to offer kind of different tiered levels of service. And uh, about six months ago, um, you know, we, we talked about it and we said, it's really difficult to handicap the best way that you know how to help somebody, you know, to basically say, and we recognize that not everybody wants to, 
not everybody feels they need kind of the top level of service. Um, and that's fine. So we work to, to try and, um, you know, kind of refer those clients to, to other people. Uh, but for us, what we want to do is we want to be, we want to bring everything that we have to helping somebody get better and helping them improve. That's and it. I, and I'm curious along the same lines, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I know there are always situations where, an athlete says, well, I don't want this coach anymore. And they either quit the coach or fire the coach. And you can read on the various forums. I'm interested if you've ever had the experience where you realize that, you know, just working with this athlete doesn't work. This isn't a good fit for them. It isn't a good fit for me. Um, maybe for you, they're uh, what I term an energy vampire where they're just sucking the energy out of you and it's taking you away from your other responsibilities and joys. How do you handle that conversation? Because I think people who are in the endurance world who have coaches understand that's a very personal relationship. That's a close friendship and then some sometimes because they're giving you a lot of information and they're placing a lot of trust in you. Yeah, it's a difficult dynamic because in one way, um, I have worked really hard with our coaches too to have, I think, the proper perspective, which is that coaching in some ways is a commodity where it's a, it's a luxury item and someone can choose to start coaching. They can choose to stop coaching. And that's, that's not personal. It doesn't have to be personal. It can be simply a service that they choose to use like Netflix. And then they can say, I don't want to watch Netflix anymore, or maybe I'm not really into the coaching thing anymore. But obviously, like, like you mentioned, what makes that difficult is that if we're doing it well and we're doing our jobs well, um, we're making a huge investment. And that is an investment that bears out in a, in a personal relationship and a supportive relationship where, so that's where it, it gets difficult, right? So to your point, I think the best way that I've found to approach that is just to be honest with someone and say, I really don't feel like I'm not comfortable taking your money if I'm unable to help you achieve your goals. And that's an easy thing to see, right? Especially with data, it's very easy to look back over three months and to say, we haven't seen any movement in your performance. Or maybe on the, on, on the, on the, uh, on the other side of that, maybe you've been unable to achieve the goals that, 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 that we've discussed. And, um, and, and I'm saying this in all honesty, that, as coaches, as, as us coaches at Data Driven Athlete, that feels, I really don't feel comfortable with that. When I, when I look in and I'm like, I don't know if I could demonstrate to this person that they've improved in three months. That, I mean, I, mean that, I don't know. Maybe some people, that doesn't bother them. They're like, keep sending me the checks, right? Um, but for me, but for me, I'm like, ugh, I feel like, I, you know, it's, it's my responsibility at some level to help guide a person through making process, through making progress, and to be able to demonstrate to them, you know, data-driven athlete. Part of our process is to review what people are doing and to be able to demonstrate that progress. So um, as you hear my... Uh, my son melting down. That's the joy of working from home. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I, I, it certainly is a difficult kind of often touchy and I don't know if we do it right all the time. I think we've done it right. Sometimes other times you wonder, like, I think where it also gets really difficult is sometimes I think people enjoy the friendship and they enjoy the support and that's actually worth the value to them. So where do you place that as a coach? Um, that's where it gets really difficult. Maybe the person really isn't, maybe it's not even really about um, the numbers and, and improving in the sport. Maybe they really appreciate the guidance that you're able to give them. And then we have to say, well, that's not really the business that we're in, but I don't know. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a difficult, a difficult piece. 
I'm curious along the same lines, you probably have some people who approach you who clearly they know what a coach can do, um, which one of the main things is look at what they're doing objectively and objectively be able to say, do this, don't do this with, that, with less emotion in the person. But there's going to be other people who maybe have some competitive goals and they don't understand they're listening to this or somebody recommends them that they listen to this and they hear it and they don't understand why does somebody need a coach? I can pick up uh, a trade magazine and it has a training program or I can buy a book in, in Barnes and Noble or another bookstore and I can follow that training program. Why is a coach better? Yeah. So I love this question. It's on my list of, of blog post topics. And I had this thought the other day, right? Because you're, you're setting me up here um, to, to, to sell myself. And this is why I love this question because my first response would be, of course you don't need a coach, right? Like nobody needs a coach, right? Like the, the, uh, the, the improvements in online training systems, and I don't know how familiar you are with kind of some of the automated coaching services that have gotten better and better. And they'll, um, you know, give you exercise prescription, you know, training prescription and lead you through the workouts, all that kind of stuff. The bottom line is, is that those are really great. And for a lot of people who, who if all you want is workouts and a training plan, you don't need a coach and you should save your money and take your wife out to dinner. That would, that, that would be my response is that um, I, I, you don't need a coach. If, if all you're wanting is kind of training prescription, um, training prescription is just a piece of coaching and there are other platforms that do it cheaper um, and not as well, but, um, but pretty well, right? So, um, and we've kind of tried to make this shift in our coaching as well. And this is part of the shift we made towards not offering those lower levels of coaching is that we wanted to say, Here's what artificial intelligence and automated coaching and lower and, and, and internet forums, here's what they cannot compete with. And that is a, a dedication and a commitment to integrating exercise science, sports nutrition, um, accountability, um, you know, uh, personal investment in someone. It's the integration of all those things, right? That's the, uh, that's the difference between you know, a teacher and a mentor in a classroom and an online class, right? Um, there are some applications where an online class, I'm sure works perfectly fine and it works better for some people. Um, so that's what we've tried to invest in is to say, our name is data-driven athlete. It's, it's written into our, you know, into our code. Data is a big deal. Science is a big deal. But all these other pieces we want to continue to invest in uh, to demonstrate how our coaching is really different from just a training prescription. So to kind of follow up with that, if that type of an approach to training um, is, is of interest to you, and if you feel like that could help take you to the next level, that's what coaching can and should provide. Um, but if all you're wanting is, is kind of a, a simple training prescription, or maybe you're like, yeah, I, I hear him talking about all this stuff and I just want some workouts to do. then I would say, yeah, save your money, right? Save your money and sign up for Zwift or sign up for Trainer Road and, uh, and see how well you can do. And chances are, especially if you're new to the sport, you'll get better. You'll get better, um, you know, up to a level where you won't. And then at that point, you can decide if maybe kind of, a, you know, coaching might, might be a good option. I'm curious how people find you as a coach because – you know, I, I'm, I'm in Pittsburgh. I found you from a friend, but how do you, how do you get referrals or how do people locate you uh, when they're looking for you? Yeah. So that kind of gets to, you know, early on when I resigned from my teaching job and, you know, 
we were basically living off my wife's income. Um, and I had time, but I didn't have a lot of money in terms of marketing. And so, you know, my commitment was to creating really, really good content for my website, um, you know, to serve as something that people could share and that would improve our search rankings on Google and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, for the past seven years or so, that's kind of been my approach is to say, I'm going to continue to invest in uh, and trying to create, you know, some of the best training content out there. So that's definitely a big part of it. A big part of it is, I would say that's the, um, that's, that's, that's the biggest marketing piece for us um, from either people finding us on Google or from uh, becoming familiarized or, you know, uh, recognizing us, recognizing our brand because maybe they read a training article that we had posted or whatnot. So I'd say it's kind of multi-pronged. It's, it's having read some of our training articles and knowing that to obviously local writers, um, you know, there's a local reputation that we have where, where people recognize, uh, people um, you know, know, know what we do. So a, l- a little bit of a combination of, of those. And I'm also curious, you have in your name and you alluded to, you've alluded to a couple of times, you are a data-driven coaching company. What is the requirement for somebody to come work with you with data? Do they have to have a power meter? If you have somebody who comes to you and says, "Hey, you know, I just got a heart rate monitor. I don't want to buy a heart. I don't want to buy a power meter." Yeah. Well, thankfully, this question is infrequent. I don't think I've had anybody in the last three years, maybe, that hasn't had a power meter. But if they do, again, my my response to them is, "I'm going to be honest with you. I can probably only give you about fifty percent." of what I feel is my best coaching without a power meter. So if you want to go forward with this, that's certainly something we can do. But what I tell people, I've told, told clients this before, I said, potential clients, I said, I think you would be better off saving your money and buying a power meter and then coming back and doing coaching or deciding if coaching is something, something that you want. I think your investment in the power meter um, would have a more long lasting effect. Plus it would enable you to actually fully utilize, um, you know, coaching in a way that, I just don't think you can do without it. I mean, obviously there's a lot of other pieces there, um, but you know, I feel, I feel guilty coaching somebody without a power meter because you know, I pull up their data. I joke, I joke with, with clients about this, maybe when their power meter goes out and I pull up their data phone. I was like, Oh yeah, your heart was beating fast. <laughs> Good job. You know, I mean, um, and obviously there's other ways to, you know, there's ways to look at other things and, but you know, the, the addition of power in a cycling file is like, it transforms everything. It transforms the process by which we coach. It transforms really the accountability that an athlete has for their coach, right? Because they can say, Hey, I've done every single workout you've given me for the last two months and I haven't improved. That's your insurance policy as an athlete, right? To say, I've done everything you told me. I'm not getting better. Like what's, what's the deal. And, and as a coach, you should be like, Oh, yeah, like you should be looking at those same numbers to say, I need to either mix things up or maybe there's another life factor that's going on here that we need to, you know, we need to look at. But power is kind of, that, that's that commonality that allows someone to get their full money's worth out of coaching. And I know we're going to have a lot of listeners who are not cyclists and don't understand that. If, if you're a runner who's listening or maybe you're a, a master swimmer, why is it that power meters are so useful in cycling? Whereas if you're a runner, maybe you're just uh, using a heart rate monitor and on occasion getting a blood lactate test. Yeah. So, you know, running um, has power. Power has come into the sport of running in the past couple of years. It's a different type of measurement of that power. Uh, it involves more math. Um, whereas, 
uh, you know, more math and kind of voodoo, whereas in cycling, we have what's called a direct force uh, measurement of power. Um, but running and uh, running and swimming, if they had the option, they would love to have something like power to guide their training, right? It's just that in cycling, we have this advantage where all of our effort is translated into a machine. It goes through a machine. Um, so every other sport out there is either actively uh, every other sport, every other team sport, every sport is actively looking for some way that they can most objectively measure intensity. So for basketball, you'll see GPS, basketball and football, you'll see GPS tracking devices that are trying to quantify workload um, and trying to quantify the difference in workload on smaller players, point guards, as opposed to larger players. Um, the same thing in football, right? So there's different different systems. And I'm, I'm much less familiar with that since it's not the world that I'm in, but every single sport is basically looking and saying, saying and wishing, I wish we had something like power that we could use. Right. And, and different sports um, have, have done that to, you know, to different success, to varying success. So yeah, power just gives us this, this totally objective uh, measurement of intensity um, that helps to normalize all the other variables that come in there if we're using, if we're looking at something like heart rate, right? So obviously power um, is, is immune to, um, you know, to wind, to caffeine, to, you know, hills, to any, any other variable that can kind of, you know, impact heart rate or kind of um, give you, you know, bring, introduce a lot of noise into trying to examine a workout. Power helps to just say, no, this is, you know, you did 200 watts for five minutes, and that always means the same thing. We're talking with Nate Dunn. He is the owner of Data Driven Athlete, a cycling coaching company. I'm curious with the emphasis on data and technology that you clearly have, what, if anything, you use or suggest for your athletes to use on the recovery aspect. I know I've had the good fortune to talk to Don Moxley and Dr. Ian Dunnikin on this podcast about uh, sleep and recovery. Do you use anything with your athletes so they can measure uh, recovery or sleep quality? Yeah, so a good question. So I'm always interested in, in reading about you know, the different devices um, out there. Um, I'll give you my personal opinion. If an athlete came to me with a device, and I've had a couple of athletes with devices um, that are interested in measuring their sleep quality, and if that's something that they want to record and kind of measure, um, you know, we can definitely look at that. Uh, for me, what, how I've kind of settled, at least on the sleep quality thing, and maybe this is just my own personal biases, but I think that if I were to add the additional uh, kind of discipline of measuring my sleep, I think that would add more stress and anxiety to kind of the overall, my overall life system um, than leaving that up to the ether, Right. So I know that might be heresy coming from, you know, coming from somebody who's data driven athlete, but for me, I would much rather have a conversation with an athlete about sleep hygiene and about, you know, different, uh, different lifestyle choices um, and nutritional choices that they might make to help to improve their quality of sleep. And then to be able to observe those improvements uh, with a little bit of distance, as opposed to getting this really granular look at their sleep quality and how much, you know, how much REM sleep they've done. Um, to me, again, that seems like that seems to add an extra like, oh shit, did I only sleep? Like my sleep quality wasn't as good as last night, and, and you know. Um, but if an athlete comes and they really want to engage in that, then we'll do it. We'll look at it. But 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 we don't. Um, that's not something that we are. Um, it's not like power. 
it, it, it's not, it, it's not like a power meter on a bike. It, I'd say it's kind of accessory and accessory technology that if they're interested in, or if they come really excited about it, you know, definitely engage in it. But, um, I think that the, um, Again, for me personally, it's kind of one of those ones where like, oh man, that, that might be a little bit too much. Um, but I've had a lot of people say, I love it. I love being able to look at my sleep quality. And um, so. And I think that's the interesting thing that different people can have different opinions and neither of them be wrong. I know for me personally, it hasn't been a stressor. I've started uh, after interviewing Don Moxley last spring, I've started measuring HRV and just recently got a uh, aura ring. And for me, it's a, it's a, uh, not a relief, but it allows me to look at it objectively. And when I don't get a good night's sleep and I go back and look at other things, it's like, oh, that's why. So I think yeah. it's interesting that you and I are kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum for different reasons. Sure. And it could be that because I'm also wary of adding additional data um, mm -hmm. to the cyclist diet, right? It's like when they're on the bike, they're recording everything, every heartbeat, every, you know, every pedal stroke, everything. And I think that th then you can go down another end of the spectrum where you're like, hey, let's let's leave the bike, let's leave all the data, and then let's disconnect from that. Um, and like you mentioned, that could be different for for you know for different people. Anywhere you think the technology is going or changing, where you would like to see something that you're able to measure in say three to five years. Well, there's certainly been interest in kind of measuring real time blood lactate levels. Um, also, there's been interest in, you know, kind of portable expired gas analysis machines, you know, like VO2 max machines. I've seen some of those kind of out there. Um, you know, essentially, I think probably what the, what the next step is, is that with power, we're measuring work intensity. And the next step is to, you know, measure some of those physiological parameters that are maybe, you know, contributing to that outcome of power. Um, so the degree to which that matters, I don't know. Um, you know, again, I think everyone is going, you know, every coach and every athlete is going to have to make these decisions in terms of um, at what point am I better off kind of simplifying my perspective when I'm training and just not looking at anything. And then are there some training sessions where maybe it's helpful for me to bring on these different technologies and, and, and whatnot. Um, so the, the challenge is with, with, with those additional technologies that are measuring kind of, you know, physiological parameters, those are a lot more invasive. They either require you to wear like a sleeve on your leg, or obviously you have some kind of breathing apparatus. Um, so they add, I think this, they add this additional cognitive load to exercise. Um, whereas, you know, the beauty of the power meter is, is it, it, it's just on your bike, right? And, and it's just, um, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to think about it. I'm curious how many athletes have that you work with that you know of have more than one power meter because we all know that most cyclists have multiple bicycles. Yes. So this is, this is one of those funny questions where, you know, people ask me, do you think I should get a power meter? Let's say they have a power meter on the road bike and they say, do you think I should get a power meter on my cross bike? And I always, <laughs> always say to them, I say, okay, first of all, I think a power, I, I love a power meter being on every bike that you ride. Um, but they are an expense. And so that's usually kind of the question of like, as a data person, I love the ability to quantify the mountain bike ride and the cross ride and the road ride. And then the time on the time trial bike. Um, I love that. It gives you this flexibility and training to where, um, you know, each of those bikes is still, you know, feeding back into the, into the, into the loop. Um, so, but cost obviously, you know, is a, uh, so if, if cost is a factor for people like it is for me, I have one, I only have one bike, 
I have one bike and I have one power meter. Um, I have two bikes and I have two and a half bikes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the number uh, keeps one, jumping up. Yes. Well, one, one needs to, one's a frame set. I need to, I need to build it up, but only one power meter. So if cost, you know, for most of us, cost is, a, is, a, is an obstacle. And I would say, you know, put the power meter on the bike that, that you see yourself riding most often. That generally makes the most sense to kind of capture the most amount of, of training data. You mentioned a few minutes ago that one of your ways of advertising was you make sure you put good quality on the internet with articles and blog posts, et cetera. And I know that uh, with, with the advent of Google and everybody and his brother being able to put up blog posts and unfortunately or fortunately with the expansion of social media, everybody's an expert. So if somebody's listening to this, what are your two or three tips? If somebody's looking for a cycling coach, what are your two or three tips for recommending what they should look for to make sure that, okay, this person at least knows basically what's going on and is able to give good information rather than this person just doesn't know what they're talking and hung out their shield because they won a bike race last week. Yeah. So I'll give you my spiel that I give to any new client that talks to me. And the first thing I, I tell them is I say, you know, I want to pump the brakes a little bit and I want to encourage you to look at other cycling coaches uh, because, you, you know, it doesn't matter. It matters much. I would say it's important for every athlete to be engaged with and to believe in the process of their coach, right? Um, if you're not, in, if you don't really believe that that's an approach um, or that their kind of skill set is really the best for you, um, then you're probably not going to commit fully to their training prescription and you're not going to get as good a results. So I think even a bad, even if you're really invested in a bad coach, you'd probably get better results than being marginally invested in a great coach. So that's usually my, my first spiel is to say, hey, if, if I'm the first one that you've come across, go out there and look out. And then this is going to get to the, to answer your question is what I tell people is I say, decide what it is about a coach that you feel is important, right? Because like you mentioned, some coaches, their pedigree might be they have an elite racing background. And then some, and then some coaches, maybe their pedigree is, is that they have they're really charismatic and they're on a lot of group rides and they're, they're, they're really good with social, you know, social skills and engaging people. And they're always on social media. And maybe that's something that you really like. Maybe you, maybe you like that kind of hype and it helps to motivate you and, and you want to kind of buy into that. Um, other coaches come with a skill set of, of teaching and education or exercise science, right? So for, for us, um, you know, our, the, the, the baseline um, qualification for coaching for us um, is to have a bachelor's degree in exercise science. So that's kind of where we've put our shingle, right? We've said, we believe that, um, that, uh, that seeing the world as a coach through a lens of exercise science and that objectivity um, of exercise science is a great value for us. So, um, so that would be my, my response to someone is to look and see what is it that you value and then look at that coach, go to their website, read their qualifications, um, read what they've written on their website. Um, read, you know, what is their uh, what, what is their philosophy about training? Do they have a really myopic view where they feel like this is the training plan or this is the you know, training approach that's the best? And if that's the case and that lines up with you, then maybe that's a good fit. Um, so do your research. That, that's really what I um, encourage people to do. Do your research. Um, it's, it's in your best interest to contact that person and to ask them all kinds of great questions, right? Like you're buying something from them. Um, you're, you're buying a product in its simplest term and, uh, and do your research, you know, just like you would for, 
a new set of arrow wheels, you know, <laughs> read the reviews. We're talking to Nate Dunn. He is the owner of Data Driven Athlete, a cycling coaching company. I think he's given us some great information on the importance of power. I think he's given us great information on what he looks for when choosing which athletes to work, to work with, as well as giving you some tips in the last couple of minutes about if you decide to want to hire a cycling coach, these are some things to look for and some things to consider. I think a really key point of that is the fact that he said, you know, talk to a variety of people and figure out which one seems to be the best fit for you. Nate, I want to thank you for taking time to Moving to Live and telling us your story two weeks ago and then giving us a little clearer insight this week about data-driven athlete and specifically why you place such an emphasis on using uh, technology to help make cyclists better cyclists. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on, Ben. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore MOV number two LIV. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.